So, all right, are we all, we all got everything going and works good? I'm good. I mean, I got my, my story ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah, dude. I'm here, so. Yeah, I'm excited about mine. I'm excited about mine. I hope it's, uh, right I hope y'all find it as funny. I have as... exactly a quarter of an idea. You well, had a quarter of an idea earlier. <laughs> it hasn't changed. So well, if, you if, got I, if I pay you a dollar to develop the if quarter, I, if I pay you a dollar, quarters. you're going to give me 75 cents back? Is that what it is? Well, I'm All ready to go when you fellas are. I was born ready. Nice. The other two didn't sound so. Yeah, they don't ready. sound so ready. They're still ready. Quarter ready. I, I am. Actually, right now. Whoa, whoa, that's blasphemous right that's there. What I blasphemous. That is what I figured. I think Jeremy Young. It's Jeremy Young's been ready for like three days. It has never happened. Maybe two before days. That I have written the story while we were discussing things at the beginning. Until now, other than <laughs> no, you have the other you've times. done that before. I'm pretty sure you've done that before. I may have done that on eighty percent of these. Good evening, and welcome to Once Upon a Recast, an MSVS production. I'm Chris Roberts, your favorite host of this podcast, as I have declared it to be so. And also, of course, because I was the winner of the last round of fun and games that we played. And with me, as always, are my co-hosts and this episode's contenders. We have the Sultan of Sardonic Humor himself. He is Forever Young, Jeremy Young. We have the affable aficionado of all things animated, Michael like a square without corners, Circle! Finally, last but never least, we have the master of modifying movies, my brother, Shane Roberts. No relation. Welcome to the show. See, we like to rewrite movies to hilarious ends with specific items, people, or ideas as integral parts of their story. And as the all-powerful yet benevolent judge that I am, I will harshly, or not, judge the others on their stories to find a winner, based on whatever criteria I like at that moment. They will then go on to host the next episode and decide on our movie and topic to rewrite. Tonight's movie is... Ready? Cue the music. Dun-dun. Dun-dun. The very first summer blockbuster, ladies and gentlemen, the movie that made people afraid to get into even their own bathtubs. I'm talking about the 1975 Steven Spielberg classic, Jaws. You go inside the cage. Cage goes in the water. You go in the water. Sharks in the water. Our shark. That's probably an appropriate song for us, isn't it? Oh, wait, no. <laughs> That's right, boys. I think you're going to need a bigger story tonight. Hopefully, you gentlemen brought your A-game. Of course, our twist to this all-so-familiar story is this. The creature terrorizing the pleasant tourist destination is not, in fact, a shark. So what exactly is it? That will require our trio of friends to need a bigger boat? That, my friends, is what we're all about to find out, and I can't wait to hear what you all came up with. But first, we have to come up with an order for this evening. And I think I know just how to do that. 
One of the most famous and memorable scenes from Jaws, at least in my opinion, is when Robert Shaw's Quint gives his famous Indianapolis speech. And it's, it's great. It's a, it's a brilliant monologue. It represents kind of the, the calm before the storm that is the great white shark that's going to be attacking these three men. But my question, my question for our contestants this evening is what is your favorite movie monologue moment and why? I've got one in mind myself, but I'm, I'm curious what you're also I've got like. one in mind. i got one in mind. Uh, Shane has one in mind. I do have one in mind. All right. Am I supposed to tell you what my one in mind is? I didn't know the order of such things. Please, go ahead, since you have one in mind. Well, what comes to my mind is uh, Aragorn. Uh, the uh, the speech. Not this, day. not this day. It will not be this day. Because, you yes. know, he talks about all the bad things, but it's not going to be this day. You know, so sometimes his, his descendants are going to suck at some point, but the, his people, <laughs> they're going to be awesome. You're going to be awesome all of, today. All of these people are like, my children will fail me, but I, I will not fail them. <laughs> I will not be the failure. I'll let the failure come way down the line after I'm dead and gone. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Words of encouragement. Anybody else? Who's next? What will we got? Michael, Jeremy? Um, I am, Michael? Uh, I'm a really big fan of the Rocky speech from Rocky Balboa when he speaks to uh, Milo, Milo Ventimiglia. Where he yes. Says, uh, oh, yeah. It'll beat you to Talks your knees to and keep you there until you, or if you let it. That's, that's it's not how hard you get my... hit. It's, yep. it's getting I mean, back up. That, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is a good one. You, do you want answers? I think I'm entitled. Do you want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world surrounded by walls. Those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's going to do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? (laughs) You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. I love that speech. I love the speech from A Few Good Men. Because, first of all, it is Jack Nicholson at his best. And it is just that is Jack Nicholson. That is Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd I mean, like to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, those, those were all great. Those were all great. Now I'm, I'm going to have to give the edge on this one um, to Shane because literally I the have written ring. down Vigo Mortens's Aragon speech from Return of the mm-hmm. King. Shane, since you won, I'm going to let you choose. Whether you would like to go first, second, or last. All right. Well, I am going to go last. So let us enjoy the recast. May the best story win. Michael Circle, you are up. Well, let me just start by saying it. It's definitely going to be good that I'm first. I like it. You're setting the bar pretty low. It's good. That's good. You All did right. say you were ready, right? I am. I just got to get in the mindset. <laughs> da dum. Da dum. Do the spare fingers and whatnot. All right. Wouldn't wouldn't it be funny if the Jaws theme and the Jeopardy theme were the same, just with like different instruments playing it? Like instead of a piano, it's. Oh, yeah. Minor, minor key, some Jeopardy minor thing. Key That's right. Yeah. <laughs> minor key anything, it becomes extra spooky. Okay. Uh, I like so let's start off with my Martin Brody. My Martin Brody is not going to be Rob Scheider. It is going to be Sean Connery. Oh. Uh, because a uh, later in life, 
know. Later in life, uh, Rob Scheider actually looks a bit like Sean Connery, and that's where I got that idea. So, all right. Uh, Quint is <laughs> this is my favorite. <laughs> Quint will not be um, uh, Robert Shaw. He will be played by Dana Carvey's impression of Robert Shaw. <laughs> that's good. Nice. And nice. The, the mayor of the town is played by Matthew Perry. Oh, I can see that. Oh, all right. Okay, so Amity Island is under attack by a silent killer. No, not hypertension. A seemingly <laughs> invisible force is abducting <laughs> swimmers around the New England beaches, and officials with the town believe it to be the work of a shark, but there are no traces left behind. No blood, no flesh, nothing. That started with the skinny dipping girl, but with no trace, there was no notice of an attack, no signs of her disappearance, and her drunk boyfriend didn't even know she was missing. So instead of in the original movie, there was the body that led everybody to believe there was a problem. Nobody knows. She's just missing. Finally, ah. she will be reported missing, but uh, it's not as big of a deal as everybody is expecting it to be. Flash forward a few days to Martin Brody's kitchen table. It's morning. He's eating breakfast, drinking his coffee. His phone rings. He answers it. We've been trying to reach you about your extended warranty. Click. He hangs up his phone. <laughs> nice. Who was that, honey? His wife says. Oh, just one of those warranty calls, dear. Just then, there's a knock at his door, and it's the mayor of the town. Mayor Matthew Perry walks in and says, Martin, we have a missing person, or we have a missing person's report. Can they be any more missing? Nice. <laughs> hey, Martin says, <laughs> That's our fourth one this week. Well, thanks, math man. Is there anything else that can make this any worse? Well, uh, we could close the beaches. He goes, oh, wow, look at Mr. Bright Idea over here. Why don't you enjoy your, enjoy your day, sir? Have some fun on our clean beaches. And, uh, well, Martin Birdie decides to go to the beach because that's what you do when you're worried that there's sharks attacking. So he goes to the beach. Now, while he's sitting there relaxing on the beach, he sees in the. He's already on edge. He's on. He's nervous. He's looking around, freaking out about anything that could possibly be, uh, um, not off point. Something, some word that sits in the English language. Out of place. Somewhere. Out of place. Yes. And he sees a bunch of kids, pretty far out, freaking out. He's startled. He jumps up, ready to run out there, but it just turns out that uh, someone pooped out there, and uh, the kids were freaking <laughs> out about it. You know, very, uh, very. Uh, yeah, the baby Ruth from. Um, uh, you know what? Oh, what fish was do it all the time. Yeah, exactly. That's true. <laughs> That's exactly. We're swimming around in their bathrooms. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what was that movie? Caddyshack. Caddyshack. Thank you. It was very similar to Caddyshack. So, I'm there for you. Ah, I appreciate that. He, uh, as he's sitting there, he, he sits back down. He's kind of trying to calm himself down. There's nothing going on. Who knows where the girl went and the other people just calm down a little bit. And he hears a ringing in his ears. Maybe it's his tinnitus. It's been bothering him for a, for about a week or so. But uh, <laughs> he, uh, sometimes you start adding points because you really need words in there somewhere. Uh, so apparently Martin Brody tinnitus. has tinnitus. <laughs> that is where you hear the ringing in your ears, right? Tinnitus? I don't know. I it is. It, yes, it is. Is that a fear of number 10? No, no. No, it's, it's where you get the ringing. Or decaphobia. Like uh, William Shatner. No, that's when, that's when you, your tins are swollen. <laughs> that's right. And nidus is inflammation of the tins. Inflammation of the tins. 
Well, anyway, he uh, he sits back down and he's still on edge. Everything that mo- moves around him, he he's jerking his head back and forth. And I just jerked my head and almost threw my headphones off my head. Uh, he sees a slow rush to his right. Yes, a slow rush. He looks up and he sees slow running lifeguards in red swimsuits. Someone is drowning, like right there, like right off the beach. And they can't get there because they're running in slow motion. Because why? That's what you do. Red bathing suit when you're alive. But they they get there eventually and they find, oh, he's dead. Whatever. It took too long to get out there. <laughs> Light flickers off the water and his nervous eyes dart to the flash to see a boy on a red raft fighting for his life and then disappearing into the water. Let's go ahead and skip forward. Town hall time. Martin is trying to get people to go and find out what's killing people in the water. There's no takers. He's trying to convince as many people as he can to hit the waters, but nobody wants to. They don't know that it's a shark, so you're not going to see all the people trying to get out there and get this big, you know, like, 14-point shark. Right? No takers. He talks for hours. I mean, hours. Trying to get people. And when he looks up from his PowerPoint, yes, he made a four-hour PowerPoint presentation. Everyone there is dead from death by PowerPoint, except for one person, a fisherman named Quint. Remember, played by (laughs) the impression of Danny Garvey's Robert Shaw. (laughs) Finally, he looks up from his PowerPoint because he hears the nails on the chalkboard. He uh, agrees. (laughs) I don't know what's wrong with me tonight. <clears throat> That's a strange frame for him to say. <laughs> deep breath in, deep breath out. Yes. Deep breath in. You got this. Deep breath out. You got this. And most of the time I say I'll cut it out in post and I don't think yeah. it's funny. No, this this will be cut yeah. out in post. Don't I, worry, we'll fix it in post. I imagine this yeah. entire story is gonna be cut out in post. <laughs> it's very fixable. So the story no. doesn't exist like the uh the creature doesn't exist. Exactly. Uh, there you go. That's what happened. Exactly. So that's the end of the movie. Turned out the exactly. creature, uh, the creature was me. <laughs> Ooh, the creature was writer's block. It's, 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 it's a never-ending story. It's a nothing from the never-ending story. That's this is exactly this it. is perfect. Okay, so huh? they go out Anyways. into the water. We're gonna just skip ahead here, and because this is a losing story anyway. <laughs> We're gonna skip ahead here. Well, They're in the water. water. Him and uh, <laughs> him and Quint. <laughs> Did you just transport us to the water? <laughs> We're in the water. Don't worry about it. Oh, okay. Shoot. Give me one second. I gotta. <laughs> I gotta get something ready. Just give me one second. Okay. Ready. Uh, I'm gonna point out that Jeremy did offer. I did. Have you won it so far? Is that what's happened? Yes, sort of. <laughs> okay, so they 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 decide. He decides we'll go out with him and find out what's going on. And he says, I'm skipping to the end. Okay, so <laughs> they're on the boat, and it's not even till near the end of the movie when you even find out what is actually attacking. And it does. And out of the water, onto their gigantic, or onto their boat, is in fact a gigantic shark. However, it's not a shark. It opens its giant jaws, and there's a door. And they go into the door. Because... There's a giant shark in the water with a door in his mouth. Why not go into it? So they open the door and they go in and a light flashes around them and everything goes super bright white. They can't even see. And as their eyes adjust, there's a man standing in front of a bunch of computer monitors. Martin Brody says, who are you? And the guy says, 
I'm the architect. I created the <laughs> <Yeah>. matrix. <laughs> I've been waiting for you. You have many questions, and though the process has altered your consciousness, you remain irrevocably human. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Concordantly, while your first question, while your first question may be the most pertinent, you may or may not realize it is also irrelevant. Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the matrix. You are the eventuality of an anomaly, which despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. While it remains a burden assiduously avoided, it is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control, which has led you inexorably here. Because uh, that was one of the worst speeches of any movie in the world, and I had to throw that in there. Anyway. It was, but you, you, you nailed it. The shark, you're awesome. The <laughs> shark is a door to the Matrix, but not just the Matrix. A small section of the Matrix. A very small section of the Matrix. A small section where, when they looked around the room, the computer monitors were focused on the four missing people and hundreds of others like them. Sitting in a cubicle with a headset on. The script on the computer reads, We're trying to reach you. <laughs> About your extended warranty. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 my movie. Let's 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 go through some of this, shall we? No, we don't oh, have. To. Oh, let's <laughs> get to the point. This is the unpacking point. Silent killer, not hypertension. <laughs> so you're you're getting a good ten points for that. Um, yes. You pulled off an extended warranty joke in the beginning, which, unbeknownst to anyone at the time would come back around at the end, but just for the extended warranty joke in the beginning, that's another 10 points. 10 more points for your Connery impression. Yeah, and then your Matthew Perry, can there be any more missing? Can they be any more missing? <laughs> Give me a 20 for that. Uh, there, there was the out of place and the Caddyshack reference, which Jeremy helped you out with, so I'm giving Jeremy 10 points for that. Um, you, you threw in a poop joke, because <laughs> that... That evidently has just become a thing with us now. I guess so. we, we do poop jokes. So that's that's 10 more points for that. Um, <laughs> tinnitus. <laughs> Who knew tinnitus could be that funny? Um, um, I'm I just giving want to you... point out that uh, there was a ring very it. subtle, but that tinnitus wasn't actually tinnitus. Every time there was something, every time the shark was kidnapping somebody to turn them into these uh, the call centers, they were hearing the ringing of the call center. Uh, oh, nice. I like well, that. 20 points for that. You threw in a Baywatch slow-mo run. That's 10 more for that. Um, you mentioned the 14-point shark, <laughs> which, which made me giggle. That's 10 more. Uh, death by PowerPoint. Who knew that PowerPoint killed more people than whatever this um, <laughs> supposed death machine was? Um, so I, I feel like that's a, that's a solid uh, 20 for that. A uh, mechanical shark with a door in its mouth. I, I was intrigued by that. Wasn't sure where you were going. Thought Doofenshmirtz might show up. Um, but yeah. the, the architect didn't see that coming at all. Ten more for that. Ten, ten for just using Ergo. Um, <laughs> the fact that the shark is a door to the Matrix. Yeah, 20 more for that. And we're going to round up by giving you 30 from your ending. Tying back around to we're trying to reach you for your extended warranty. All right, so we're at we're at two hundred for that, and I'm going to give you another fifty for your casting. Twenty more just because you're Michael Circle, and I feel you need to pick me up. So that gives Michael Circle a grand total of two hundred and seventy points. 
But that now brings us to Jeremy Young. Okay, it's going to be difficult to follow that, but I'm going to do my best. This is going to be a time that's going to be very cinematic. So whenever I, I'm going to try and explain to you certain uh, scenes from a cinematic aspect that hopefully I, I hope you all can envision it. Uh, and it's going to start out with the opening. We're going to have water. It's going to be dark. We're going to be in the water looking up. It's going to appear to be dark out, but when you're deep enough, who, who really knows, right? Ooh. And uh, there, there is some sort of a light, but uh, just enough to give that sort of look to it as the, as the camera's slowly making its way to the top. And as this is happening, there is sort of a, an eerie music that's playing alongside of the some names appear. It starts out by saying, and, and it, it does so in bold, blood-red font. Uh, a film um, by Ma Night Shamlon. That's right, it's Ma. Starring Timothy Olymphant, Hugh Jackman, Justin Long, Kaylee Cuoco, William Daniels, John Hamm, wow. Joey Lawrence, Matthew Lawrence, with Samuel L. Jackson, Kate Winslet. Haley Joel Osmond, also with Pam Anderson, Tommy Lee, Bill Murray, Steve Martin, also featuring Richard Keel as himself. As though the final name comes up, the, the camera comes out of the water and then lifts up at night, looking over the ocean and comes in on where the water meets the beach. And it turns very ominous as you see a young couple standing, kissing on the beach. And then suddenly they begin to sort of run down the beach. It's important to point out that they have not been drinking, nor have they been doing drugs. They're just airhead idiots. The female is Pam Anderson, and her beach night boyfriend is Tommy Lee. As they're running along the shore, they're coming up on a pier. And Tommy tells Pam, that he's never worked on a dock before. And then he points out that there is no night uh, lifeguard on because the union has been on strike. They are clearly down their luck, and it's tough. So tough. But uh, Pam ignores the sign and runs onto the pier and all the way to the very end of the pier where Tommy follows. Once they get to the end of the pier, of course, they begin to kiss again, and then Pam says, let's go for a swim. And Tommy quickly reminds her that he can't swim. Teasingly, she tells him that she'll teach him how to swim. And so she jumps into the, the water from the end of the pier. It's dark. It's too dark. Suddenly, Pam begins to scream. Something is brushed against her leg, and she's beginning to panic. Something is swimming around her, and she can't tell what it is. She is terrified. And she tells Tommy to throw something down to help her out of the water. Now... So Tommy, of course, being the brilliant man that he is, takes his shirt off and, and quickly throws it off the pier to her. Of course, it's a good 30 feet to the, where the water is, so that's not really going to do much for her. And she says, this isn't really going to help. So he quickly takes off his trunks and throws them down to her. Once again, she's pointing out, this is not really helping. She needs something that can get her out of the water now. To which Tommy, and she says, go get help. And Tommy yells back from the pier, I can't. I don't have any shorts on. 
Suddenly, his wet trunks hit him in the face. She's thrown them back up at him. Tommy quickly puts them back on and runs to go get help. He runs into town, but of course it's the middle of the night, and he realizes as he looks over the town of Amity Island that the entire town is dark because, well, you know, it's a quiet town and they're sleeping. And it dawns on him, it would be rude to wake people up, so he runs back to the pier. At this point, Pam is gone, and he feels exhausted, so he falls asleep on the end of the pier. As he does so, the main film title appears in blood red bold font. S A T S Sats. S period A period T period S period. And under it, Ghoul Atlantic Terror Swim. The next morning, Tommy wakes up. In a bit of a slumber, he makes his way into town, stops for some pancakes. And after he gets his pancakes, he goes over to the police station to file a missing persons report. At the station, we are introduced to the chief of police, Chief Brody, played by Timothy Olymphant. He tells Tommy not to worry and that uh, Pam will likely turn up. At that moment, on the beach, a tourist finds a body. Later, in the morgue, the medical examiner, played by William Daniels, is meeting with Brody and Tommy, and Tommy identifies Pam. Of course, Brody and the medical examiner are trying to figure out how he can be so sure. After all, her head and her legs are missing. What about her is in just her torso would let Tommy know that it's definitely her as they just stare down into the basket. We can't see what they're staring at, but they're just, how, how do you know it's her? And Tommy's like, well, I, I just know. And they're like, well, you know, I mean, she's memorable, but and he says, no, 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 it's a, this tattoo. And they hadn't noticed there was a tattoo on her side. And so when they looked at the tattoo, the tattoo says, Tommy's girl, but wait, let me explain what it says, actually, by spelling it out for you. It is Tommy's, T-O-M-I-E apostrophe S, girl, G-U-R-L, for even, F-O-U-R-E-V-E-N. And it's this tattoo on her lower side slash back where Tommy had put that two there himself grieving realizing that she's now gone he runs out yelling that he would leave Amity Island for even at this point the ME then says that uh this death is the result of drowning and a boating accident that she likely got tired in the water died and then a boat hit her but Brody who has an intense fear of the water believes it is something more concerning and so he goes to tell the mayor the events. And we are introduced to the mayor. The mayor is played by John Hamm. So with his, with his sort of cocky attitude, he reminds and sort of talks down to Brody by pointing out that Amity Island needs tourists to come. Uh, they, they can't survive in, in this town without that because, you know, it's an island and it's spring break is coming upon them. They absolutely need this business. So he doesn't care what what the gut of the chief is saying. He is only concerned with, you know, making sure that the people came. So he says it must be a boning accident. Brody then goes and talks to his wife, played by Kaylee Cuoco. I don't know if I pronounced her last name correctly, but I think I did. And no his two knows. boys, yeah, and his two boys, uh, played by Joey and Matthew Lawrence. 
and he tells them to stay in the shallows of the beach, and only uh, time they're to get uh, out on a boat is in the pond area of the island. But he doesn't go into detail as to why, and he calls a, a school then that specializes in sea creatures to send help. Is it because the Lady next day, Gaga's in the shallows? Mm, she could be. Uh, the next day, as the uh, uh, I, I don't want to give it away because you know you can't read my poker face. Sorry. Uh, the next day, <laughs> as the uh, the tourists are all on the beach and the people are swimming, uh, the chief is on the beach and and he's staying on the beach. He's not about to get anywhere near the water, but he's watching out with, with the watchful police eyes. He would. And the uh, the people just keep going further and further out in large numbers, people of all ages. And he's watching very nervously, and he sees something, something that is that is frightening him to his very core as it begins to emerge from the waters. And he's absolutely terrified. He can't believe with horror what he's seen as an old man in a speedo with a swimmer's cap that says shark on it comes out of the water absolutely frightening it's old man potter old man potter by the way is a cameo appearance he's uncredited by sir ian mckellen that should frighten everybody in a speedo and a swimmer's cap and he walks up and he makes fun of the chief for not swimming and enjoying the beach and brody says that's some bad hat harry then of course uh suddenly as as just as harry old man harry potter walks away uh suddenly the swimmers begin to panic and we have a shot now from underneath the water, seeing all the swimmers, and this ominous music is playing. And then from above, we see the people have noticed this massive dark shadow. I mean, it is huge, and it is nearing them, and they begin to fear for their lives. One person yells out, shark! And somebody else says, it's too big to be a shark. It's, it's, it's a leviathan. And somebody else is like, really? You're going to go with a leviathan? You're just going to jump from shark to leviathan? And he's like, what's the point? What are you arguing about? It's a sea creature of some kind. Let's run. You know, you can't run. We're in the water. So, of course, they begin to just, every person for themselves is just climbing over each other. And it's not just people. It's, it's the people in the uh, jet skis. It's the people in the, in the small uh, boating craft. They all just make their way to the, the beach as fast as they can. In the process, injuring one another. Afterwards, they realize that a little boy is missing, and all that is left is the floating duck that he had been on, and it's shredded, or at least what's left of the floating duck, shredded with blood on it. Brody then is slapped by Mrs. Kintner, played by Kate Winslet, uh, for, for letting this happen. Her boy, Alex, who we never see is played by Haley Joel Osment, is dead, and the chief knew there was something dangerous, and yet... He let the people go in the water, and she's so upset about it. Brody, of course, tries to get the mayor to close the beaches, even more so because Miss Kintner has now said that she's going to offer $50,000 reward to whoever kills the creature. And, of course, people begin to pour into the area, getting into boats and carrying guns and lots of dynamite out onto the boats. And they go out, and they, they begin just throwing sticks of dynamite into the water, and you see explosions happening. And then suddenly, this dark, this dark shadow, ominous shadow, shows up underneath a group of small boats. And one guy quickly lights up uh, a stick of dynamite. But in, in seeing this, he, he freaks out and drops the stick in his boat with all the other sticks of dynamite and literally blows up himself and the other boats that are around him. And of course, this 
this just leaves bits and pieces of people and you know some dead bodies and blooded a bloodied herring as well uh as people are killed by this incident at night there are two idiots who decide they're going to go when nobody else is out there trying to get whatever this creature is and they decide that they're going to boot these two idiots get onto a boat uh idiot one played by bill murray idiot two by, uh, played by steve martin and uh they're they're attempting to use a turkey uh as a as a way of of as a lure and they put on this comically large hook and just sort of drop it into the water but then when this shadow comes towards them and the boat begins to rock they immediately freak out and jump out of the boat and they they swim to shore and they they just barely make it looking back idiot two played by steve martin says what is that thing to which bill murray scared (laughs) says i i don't know i don't know what that thing is what is that thing which Steve is like, well, you know what I think that is? I think that's one of them there, uh, one of them there, great, great, what? Uh, no, it isn't. What is that thing? And they have quite the debate over what this thing is. The night goes black and gives way to morning, in which we have a man by the name of Hooper, played by Justin Long, who arrives to tell Brody that it must be a massive sea creature. He's looked at the reports. Of, and by the size of the shadow and all the reports that people have made about what they saw, this creature must be huge, and the mayor needs to shut down the beaches. So he and Brody go to the mayor, but the mayor says, no, no, I am not shutting down the beaches. I refuse to do this. You know, you all make the beaches as safe as possible. And he goes out and has a press conference telling people that the creature is gone and the beaches are safe because the creature fled after the dynamite incident that scared the creature off. They, uh, while, while everyone's sort of been diverted by that, in the distance, suddenly, people hear a woman, and they hear her voice as she begins to yell, Shark! Shark! In the pond! Shark! Sh- wait, wait, wait. I, I'm not sure that's a shark. It's 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 a it's huge. Uh, maybe maybe a leviathan. Should I go with leviathan? I don't know if it's a leviathan. It's a sea creature. See, there's something in the pond. In which, of course, people begin to run over there in a panic. Brody going as well. Before he can get there, he doesn't see what the people who are already in the area see, which is there are two boys on a boat. His boys. That's right. His boys are on the boat and. They're trying to get the engine to their little boat started, but they're not able to do so. And so there's another man in a kayak who's getting over to them, asking them if they need help and immediately telling them they're doing everything all wrong. That man is played by Samuel L. Jackson. Suddenly the ominous music plays and the shadow approaches and the man, Sam Jackson, sees it, but it's too late. And whenever it's right upon him, he says, oh, heck no. I ain't doing this after those mother fornicating snakes on the mother fornicating plane. Fornication, no. But this kayak then flips in his panic. The boys also immediately panic. Joey, the oldest boy, sees. And he goes, whoa. And, of course, uh, immediately the motor begins and they flee to shore, leaving behind them uh, just the the massive sea uh shadow and whatever this creature is and and the upside down kayak with a pool of blood where the man once had been after this of course the town meeting occurs and the people are mad the mayor has been lying and they know it 
and he, yet he still tries to calm everyone. At this point, as there's a lot of loud crosstalk, suddenly this screeching crossed, almost like nails, no, nay, nay, almost like claws across the chalkboard take place. And we hear Quint, played by Hugh Jackman. <laughs> he now appears. And with his adamantium claws going back into his hand, he looks around and he goes, he says he would kill whatever sea creature is causing this, but not for 50,000. He says, I'll kill it for one million. For that, you get the head. You get the tail. You get the limbs. You get whatever it has. You get the whole sea creature. Quint then goes on to tell them that he doesn't need any other help either because he has his own boat, a large ship about 75 feet long. It's called the Holy Mackerel because it was blessed by the Pope. Well, um, not by the Pope, by a guy in a Pope outfit. Well, actually, he wasn't really in a Pope outfit. He was really in sort of a uh, soda jerk type of outfit with a little white hat that they wear, you know, if you can imagine that. But, uh, but, but, you know, he was probably Catholic. Actually, you know what? I don't think he was Catholic, but he was named Pope, Brad Pope, to, Brad Pope to be exact. Uh, or was that Pitt? And you know what? It doesn't really matter. It's not germane to the story. The point is, it's called Holy Mackerel, and it is a strong boat. The town then decides they're going to pay because it, that's a lot of money, though. They are going to have to do something that's, that's difficult. They're going to have to tap into. Uh, the only area where they have a million dollars set aside, the emergency statue fund. Of course, he says that he will, but the moment that he's with them alone, he's trying to warn them not to go. He tries to scare them off with tales of his adamantian-covered skeleton and how that's why he can overcome anything, because in the end, he really can't die. And, uh, and so he is unafraid and that they should be afraid. But of course, they're going to go anyway. And he looks at them and he just sort of gives a smile and he says, Farewell and adieu, all ye fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and adieu, ye ladies of Spain. To which, of course, uh, Hooper points out that, that that song might not really be the best song to be singing for the situation. Uh, and as Brody boards the boat, as the two of them are arguing about the best song to sing, he's saying goodbye to his wife who was crying and they begin to set sail on the holy mackerel. And as it's going out to sea, you hear the three of them begin to sing, I am slowly going crazy. One, two, three, four, five, six, switch. Crazy going slowly am I. Six, five, four, three, two, one, switch. And of course, they continue on as it, as it fades out and then fades into another day where they're out in the ocean and they've come upon a dark mass. And from the shadows, they realize that it is so large that, that Brody says, he says to Quint, we need a bigger boat. Of course, he tries immediately to call for help on the radio, but it doesn't work. That's right. It's not been destroyed. It's not that Quint is ill-tempered in this regard. It's just he's devious. See, Quint lied about having put new batteries in the radio, and now they had no batteries. They had no radio. And they were going to die. At least that's how Brody saw it. He began to freak out. And Quint tells Hooper, calm down the chief. As this large mass now appears under the holy mackerel, it begins to rocket violently. 
and the ominous music plays. The, the boat begins to spin and go up and down, and suddenly the creature dives deep and disappears. Night falls. Brody's still afraid, but in an attempt to get him to calm down, they've all gone down to get a bite to eat, and they sit around a table and they begin to talk about different things in their background and past, and they begin to laugh and, and even bond a little as they begin to compare some scars. And we see the, the sun beginning to rise. It's actually very early morning. And just off to the left of the holy mackerel, we see a large, dark shadow. Indeed, morning has come early for the three, as the boat is now suddenly rocked. The huge shadow is under them again. Will the ship hold strong? Quint says, don't worry. His secret weapon this whole time has been the holy mackerel itself. It is the strongest boat around. Its strength is in its keel. And if they complain one more time about this boat not being sturdy, he will keel haul them. To which, of course, Brody knows nothing about these things. And Hooper, being a scientist, he does have some understanding. He leans over and says, you know, the keel is the, the, the long part of the boat. That that you literally you make the boat around that long piece of wood from the beginning to the end, and uh, he explains that uh, you know he thinks he has a plan for for figuring out what is this dark shadow, what creature this is. As he says, I have this shark cage, so what I want to do is I want to put it down a- into the water, and we'll figure out what this is. I've got my my scuba gear, and and I have he, he says I have poison. And I've got enough of the substance that that could kill a herd of blue whales. As he's getting ready and the cage is being constructed, uh, it's at this point that Quint says, "Wait, you're 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 going to put the cage? The cage is the cage is going into the water. The cage goes in the water. You go in the water. The creature is in the water. Our creature. Farewell and adieu. Well, you, he's like, okay, we've already gone through this before. We don't need this right now." And so Hooper quickly gets the cage lowered mostly into the water, and then he jumps into the cage, closes it up, and they lower it completely under the water. Immediately, the camera just pans in on Hooper, and his eyes can be seen just wide as can be, and you can hear almost screams of panic. Even though he's got his scuba gear, you can almost hear him, you know, in, in, in the bubbles where he's panicking. And they look down, they see all these bubbles, and then suddenly the dark dark creature has completely encapsulated the uh, the cage and so much so that now these bubbles are arising and the ship is being pulled to its side the boat the the holy mackerel is about to be capsized at which time quint cuts the cage free and it begins to sink to the bottom of the ocean it sinks with hooper into the shadow but the boat now appears to be in danger at least in the mind of of Brody, and he convinces Quint that what he ought to be doing is is they need to get this this uh, creature to follow them to the shallows where they'll have the upper hand. And so they quickly turn the boat around and head towards the shallows. The holy mackerel going as fast as it can, but then the engine begins to run red as it begins to smoke and eventually throws a rod and the boat comes to a stop just off the shoreline, not far, but still far enough. Now the shadow is under them, around them, and the boat begins to rock back and forth violently, up and down, and suddenly Quint screams as he falls overboard. And he he rises out of the water for a moment, 
and he could be heard yelling, kill, kill, kill. And then he disappears under the water. Quint never being seen again as Brody is looking out over the water. Here's someone off camera say, watch out for snakes. Brody, of course, is confused as he turns to see a huge seven-foot-tall man who emerges from the bowels of the boat. It is Richard Keel. He smiles with his teeth and braces, and he says that he will save the holy mackerel. He is the keel of the boat. He is what makes it strong. He quickly grabs a massive net, and he jumps right in the middle of the shadow. Brody immediately panics. What what just happened? Who is this guy? What has he done? And with the kill of the boat of the holy mackerel now gone, isn't it in danger of sinking? And so he makes a decision. He's got to try and go go for shore. And so he jumps into the water to try and swim to shore. And then he remembers that he can't swim. He begins to sink. And then suddenly a strong arm grabs him and begins to pull him with his head above water closer and closer to the shadows as the water just gets in the salt water gets out of his eyes. He looks over to, to, uh, to see who has a hold of him. And indeed it is Richard Keel who has him with one hand on the other hand, he has his hand on, on this, the end of this net and he is dragging behind him, this dark shadow inside of a net. That's right. Richard Keel is kill hauling him to the, uh, the shoreline as he, is getting to the shore. All the people have gathered around to see what it is as they're coming out of the water. And the you get a split screen at this point. It's a weird thing, but remember, it was the 70s. And uh, suddenly, credits begin to roll up the screen while still events are taking place on screen. And what we learn is that, indeed, what Keel has done is he has caught everything that was in that shadow. It was a, a school of Atlantic herring. That's right. Everyone had simply panicked from this dark shadow that was given from the school of the herring that, that they either drown or they, they caused an accident and died. And so no one was actually eaten. Nobody was actually killed by the herring. Nevertheless, the, uh, the herring are now being taken in for a celebratory fish fry. Except as the last of the credits are going a singular Harry manages to get out of the net and fall back into the ocean and swim away into the darkness. Then, as the screen begins to go black, the following appears. Brody will be back. School two, summer school. It turns out that, in fact, the school films, as they would get to be known, would be much like the Jaws films and that they would spur a bunch of mm, lesser sequels. Summer School was a mild hit, but then School 3, SOS, or School and Safari, didn't do so well. And then, of course, 4, School and 7 Seas Ago, the fourth installment, was a complete disaster. Nevertheless, they forged forward with School 5, Jumping the Shark. And it was finally buried with School 6, Nuking the Fridge. Well, let's uh, let's start doing some points, shall we? All right, we've we've got your opening there. We'll we'll go twenty for that. Pam Anderson and Tommy Lee. We're going ten points for that. The lyrics to "Living on a Prayer." 
Uh, <laughs> ten more for that. The school Atlantic pair swim. Um, the fact that that you threw in that that Tommy in the morning took the time to get pancakes. Five more points for that one. Um, <laughs> Tommy's girl for even. <laughs> That made me chuckle. Ten points for that. Um, uh, old man Potter with his speedo. <laughs> ten more for that. Um, and the fact you pulled in bad hat, Harry. Yep, yep. Ten for that. Uh, the fact that when this massive shadow came, everyone goes, "Run!" And <laughs> we can't run. We're in the water. <laughs> ten more points there. Um, the fact that you had a massive boat explosion that killed pretty much everything in its surroundings. Uh, giving you twenty for that. Uh, 20 more for the what is that thing gag. The ne- the Nessie Kraken where the kids were, were playing off instead of that. And, and the, with the release of the Kraken, 10 more points there. The running Leviathan gag, 10 points there. The the, the fact you had Samuel L. in there being the uh, <laughs> kayak guy and he said mother fornication. Yeah. <laughs> 10 there. Um, I, I'll, I'll give you uh, 5 more for the woe from Joey Lawrence. Just for the woe, Quint coming in, who's clearly Wolverine, but goes by <laughs> Quint. Where we're getting getting just a twenty for that whole sequence. Um, the holy mackerel that's blessed by Brad Pope. Ten more oh, there. Chuck when I was writing it. All right. Anyway. Then, then we have um, some of our musical numbers here. Farewell and adieu. I'm slowly going crazy. Uh, yeah. Ten ten points for for that. Let's see. Uh, yeah. Of course, we need a bigger boat. The scar contest. Ten more there. The, you, of course, you had show me the way to go home. Twenty more there. Poison, not the band, the substance. Ten more for that. <laughs> um, the you go in the cage part. Ten for that. The fact you pulled an Alice's analysis restaurant gag and the watch out for snake. Yeah. Ten for that. Richard, Richard Keel being the keel of the boat. Yeah, 50 <laughs> points there. The, <laughs> Richard Keel is keel hauling. 10 more points there. <laughs> the fact that everybody had panicked over a school of herring. I like that. We're, we're going to go. We're going to go 50 for that. The fact that one herring gets out and swims away. We're going 50 with that. And now just that's getting back right to your here. cast. That's another 50. So I got a 400. <laughs> 400! That was quite the story. All right, that brings us to our last story of the evening. Take it away, Shane. <laughs> not sure I got enough story to top that, but uh, we'll see what can happen here. First, we're going to begin with some casting. Um, I have Brody as Nicolas Cage. Oh, oh my God. I have That's good. That is good. Cooper as Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, that happened. It's just happening. All right. Right and I, I have Quint as Danny Trejo. All right, so the movie is going to begin with a party. You know, there are teens. They're doing things that teens aren't supposed to do because teens, what they like to do is the things that they're not supposed to do. So that's what they're doing. So you, <laughs> uh, you have your your girl. She can still be Chrissy. She, uh, she goes out into the water, but this time, in in this version of the movie here. Her friends actually notice, and they're all like, why are you going out in the water? This is weird. But she does, and it's dark, and but then suddenly, she vanishes without a scream, without any, any trace or anything. So all of these teens, they are now terrified, and they, they immediately, they're trying to figure out what to do, and they're contacting the authorities. So enter police chief Martin Brody, coming down to the scene. Problem is, there's really I mean, there's not anything to see because there's no body, there's no anything. It's you know nothing's going on. One of the partially drunk teens says, "You know, well, well she was out there, and now she's not." 
out there. <laughs> That's deep. So, so Brody's like, well, are, are you sure she didn't just go go home? No, she was she was in the water. But then she wasn't. So at this point, Brody does not he doesn't completely let it go, but he's he's not terribly alarmed because he's pretty sure this is probably is probably nothing. So he uh, he does a little more investigating and he finds that he finds that the girl she never did come home. So he becomes a little bit more concerned, and then he finds out a young boy also disappears while several sober witnesses are there. At this point, in comes Matt Hooper, who voices his opinion, even though he wasn't asked for it, that a shark may be to blame. We haven't found any remains, says the police chief. Hooper says, perhaps it's a large shark, so large that it's swallowing people whole. And exactly who are you? Matt Hooper. <laughs> Oce- Oceanographic expert. If it's in the water, I know about it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds kind of made up. <laughs> well, it's not. It's super legitimate and it's super important. In fact, it's, it's, it's the way of the future. I know everything about sharks. I did a thesis on giant sharks, so there, take that. Yeah, all right, I guess I can't argue with a thesis, but a shark eating people whole, is that is that really a thing? As a matter of fact, there's an archaeologist working locally right now because there was a tooth of a megalodon found nearby. What if that creature is still alive and it's active right now? Yeah, that seems pretty far-fetched, and you honestly seem a little bit crazy, but, you know, what else do I have to do? It's not like we have missing people or anything. So the two men go to a nearby dig site where a man in a fedora steps out from a tent Ooh. and says, You can't be here. This area is highly sensitive. Dr. Jones, Hooper says, We need your help. My help? I'm an archaeologist. We've had some people disappear, Brody explains. And Hooper seems to think that there's a living megalodon to blame. A live one. Sharks. Why'd it have to be sharks? So the three men decide to head back to the shoreline where they're approached by a fisherman by the name of Quint. I'll kill the shark for you. Brody looks at him and says, did we even tell people we were hunting a shark? He says, shark hunters just know when a shark needs to be killed. Well, that seems convenient, but we didn't have a plan to get a boat, so I guess you're hired. I presume you have a boat because you're a shark hunter. And he's like, yeah, I got a, I got a boat. It's a cool boat. It's like, okay. So the four men gather onto Quint's boat, which is a super cool boat, and they head out to sea. On the way to the boat, they hear more people started going missing. So uh, they, they're out into the ocean, looking around, scanning the area and whatnot. Things seem quiet for some time. It's quiet. A little too quiet, says Quinn. I've got a bad feeling about this, says Indiana Jones. Suddenly the boat is rocked. The startled men look around. They begin grabbing harpoon guns and firing, but there's nothing there. They can't find anything. Suddenly, Dr. Jones has an epiphany. I think I know what's going on. They look at him and say, do we need a bigger boat? He shakes his head and says, just stay here. He grabs his fedora before he dives into the ocean. Indiana swim, swims deep 
into the ocean, searching until he sees what he's looking for. A Nazi U-boat. He swims over and he clings to the side of the boat as it submerges deeper and deeper into the ocean until he reaches a fancy underground facility. As it resurfaces in the facility, Indiana slips off the sub and he begins sneaking around, trying to figure out who's behind this, when suddenly a large bowl drops down over the archaeologist. Ha ha ha, says a maniacal laugh. Doofensmirch, says Indiana. <laughs> Doofensmirch looks at him. An archaeologist? Indiana places his wet fedora on his head. Perry the archaeologist? Indiana rips himself off and uncovers the platypus underneath. Perry the platypus! Wow, you really got me with that one. I don't even think it makes any sense. But no matter, you're trapped in that large bowl, and that large bowl's made out of glass. Nothing can penetrate glass. Perry slaps his watch, and a sonic wave breaks the bowl around him and cracks the glass of the facility. Oh, come on. I guess glass doesn't make the best cage. But I didn't even get to tell you what the Oceanator does. They, they told me that this guy named Hitler, he was really excited about it. Perry makes his platypus sounds. Okay, well, I'll try and make it quick. I needed to capture enough people to run in these hamster wheels to power the Inator. But then I realized we actually had enough batteries in the storage over here to run the Inator. But the storage area is really dark. So what I did is I still got the people and I put them in the hamster wheels. And the hamster wheels are now running the lights in the storage room so that when I go in the storage room, I can find the batteries. Perry taps his foot. That's great. Perry taps his foot and kind of nods at the cracking glass. Okay, fine, let's just do this, says Doofensmirtz as he goes ahead and hits the obvious self-destruct button. Curse you, Perry the platypus! Perry places a life jacket on each of the victims from the hamster wheels and swims back up to the surface. He replaces his Indiana Jones costume as he reaches the surface. Brody looks around from the boat and says, Dr. Jones, you're alive! And, and the missing people, they're all here! As Dr. Jones climbs back into the boat, he puts the wet fedora back on his head and tips it to his companions as they sail away into the sunset because they inexplicably decided to sail out to sea. <laughs> and the... And the title... Now, yeah, saved it for the reveal there. A secret right. agent, Indiana Jones, and the Nazi and Oceanator. Well, let's look through all of this. This is good stuff. All right, so starting off, teens doing things they're not supposed not supposed to do because that's what teens do. Easy <laughs> ten there, ten more points there. Fifty with twenty more for that. Ten more for that. Yeah, fifty for that. <laughs> ten more good. for that. Ten more there. Twenty for that. I've got a fa I've got a bad feeling about this. We'll do 20 for Doofenshmirtz, 50 for that. <laughs> he had batteries for it, but yeah. he needed the people to run the hamster wheel to turn on the light so he could find the batteries. Going 50 for that one. Um, your casting, kind of an overall 50 for the casting. If, if I, in fact, did my math correctly, I think I've got 450 for you, Shane. Wow. Which might mean that I would have to go back through and, like, Reassess Jeremy's because after a while I just gave up um, counting all of his <laughs> and said, Oh, it's probably 400. <laughs> I believe 
and I am because I'm the judge. Comes the drum roll. Jeremy Young does not, in fact, have 400 points. Oh, he got 374. That's awful. He, he has got 440 points, which, is which means fun. that Shane still squeaked out a victory at 450 points. Congratulations to Shane. Thank you. Thank you. Any words of wisdom there, Shane? And, and what was quite a hard-fought match, I have I, to say. Yes, and if you just keep going back to the Innators, they'll come through for you. <laughs> <laughs> the Innators always win. All right, there we have it, Shane. Shane is the victor. Did you want to give a speech, Shane? Um, don't do drugs. Well said. Well said. Unless they're prescribed by a physician. Yes, then you should probably take those. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. I hope that you've been as entertained as I was. I want to remind you that if you're picking up what we're putting down, would you just put it back already? Seriously, what's wrong with you, you klepto? On behalf of Jeremy Young, Michael Circle, and Shane Roberts, we thank you for listening and remind you to subscribe to our podcast. If today's entertainment leaves you aghast, join us here for Once Upon a Podcast. See you next time. I like that. <laughs> that right. makes you a guest. That's good. <laughs> that, was yeah. a, that was a fun one. Yeah.